Welcome to the Grace for This City podcast. We're helping you turn your cities upside down. Hey, I'm your host, Justin Goff. Stay tuned. We got a great show for you today. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. I'm your host, Justin. Hey, we're helping you turn cities upside down. How are we doing that? Well, we're giving you scriptural motivation and strategies. Come on, right out of the Bible to help you get out there and get some stuff done for King Jesus, friends. And I'm telling you, there's a great plan. Oh, what a planner. Oh, what a plan. I heard somebody say once there's a great plan. And I'm telling you, something has been extended to every creature on the face of the planet. He said, go and share this gospel, the good news of what? Of salvation through Jesus Christ, of our deliverer. He delivers us from our sins. And I'm telling you, he has a great plan in mind. And you know what? The Bible talks about mysteries. What is a Bible mystery? Well, they are hidden things, but they're not hidden from us. They're hidden for us. And today we're going to jump into some of them. But before I do that, I want to remind you again that we're producing CDs of every podcast. That's right. Compact discs. (laughs) You know, not everybody's in the digital like you and I are. In fact, I still buy CDs myself, though. You you know, there are certain instances and places where I'm at where I just need to put in a CD so that I can hear that. So if that is of interest to you, here's what we decided to do. We said we would produce this and send it to somebody that you believe would be encouraged or strengthened by listening to one of the podcast episodes, we'd send them a CD if that's how they could uh, listen to the content at no charge. And so if you like to take advantage of that, reach out to us. You can call us 870-741-9099 or send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. That's hello at gracecitychurch.tv and give us the information. We'll get it right out to them. All right, now let's jump into something today. And uh, I wanna talk about, again, one of these mysteries. The Bible has lots of mysteries. Uh, Again, what are Bible mysteries? They are hidden things. Uh, In fact, that's what revelation is all about. It's something that is existing somewhere, but you are ignorant to it or you're blinded to it or it's been veiled. All right, so revelation, something's being revealed. The veil is being taken away where you can clearly see what the purpose or the intention behind it was. And so there's several mysteries. Of course, there's the uh, mystery of the church. Paul talks about this, something that was hidden, again, not from us ultimately, but hidden for us from the foundations of the world. And that was one of Paul, the Apostle Paul's, that was one of his primary ministries, is to go out and um, he was called an apostle to the Gentiles specifically. He had a very uh, fine-tuned message, uh, the gospel, a gospel, a good news that the Gentiles were now being invited to participate in something. In fact, you and I right now, Our whole world, our whole belief system is based upon what the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, told the Apostle Paul and commissioned and sent him out to do. Of course, others were invited in to that work. And, you know, down through time, there's been many, 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 myself included, who have been invited to participate in being a minister of that gospel of reconciliation, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, so the Bible uh, that you and I know, hallelujah, is this fascinating uh, relationship that's been extended to us. And I want to talk a little bit about one of the mysteries in the Bible. Of course, I referred to one concerning the church, okay? 
And let me say this, and then we'll dive into uh, Romans and get into another mystery here. But the uh, born-again believer, the church, the Bible uh, gives us some understanding, some revelation. Okay, It's opening up that mystery to us. And the church is also known as the ecclesia. That's the Greek word there, the ecclesia. And that is specifically referring to the born-again uh, believer, the person whose spirit has been regenerated, uh, the refashioned, reformed. Okay, this is all part of a covenant. He said that I will uh, take out their heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. And in that heart of flesh, he said, I'll write my laws uh, upon the tablets of their heart, of this new heart. So you and I, that has been extended to us. You and I are probably recipients of that. And we would say something like this. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you been born again? Well, if you have been, then the Bible says that when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, Holy Spirit comes in and does something. He causes your spirit to be born again. The Bible says old things are passed away. All things have become new. There's a reference to this um, experience as being a new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, you've been joined to the Lord. You're one spirit with him. Peter tells us that um, we've been born of the word. John says that we've been born of the spirit. Another place, born from above. Okay, our heavenly home. Uh, remember another phrasing or a passage in the New Testament is that we have become, uh, uh, we are pilgrims. Uh, we are sojourning. Uh, this is not our home. Though we're in the world, we are not of it. That whole reality right there. And uh, so these are very important terms here, but this new creation Christ Jesus is also the new man in Christ Jesus. I think the Bible adds this thought, the one new man in Christ Jesus. And this is the reality of uh, a covenant people, the Jews, or referred to as Israel and Jacob and other places, or the Jews in general, and then also of the Gentiles, the gospel has gone out into these people groups, and the result of the gospel, the harvest of the gospel, was this one new man that's been born again, now united with Christ Jesus, uh, born of the Spirit, born of the Word. Old things are gone. All things are new in this new man. And uh, wow, what a fascinating revelation that is. And so the Bible refers to three types of people. At least there's three people groups that the Bible refers to, or we can say it like this, that in the eyes of God, he considers three people's, uh, people groups. In fact, you want to grab your Bibles, let's turn here to 1 Corinthians. And let's look at this re really quick, because we need to locate ourselves. Because if we're going to understand the various mysteries in the Bible... Uh, not all the Bible uh, is talking about every people group. All the Bible is for the church or the born-again believer, but not all the Bible is about the church. Let's see here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, let me get my Bible over here, verse 32, it says, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks. Another translation uses the word Gentiles. In fact, Another translation probably uses, uh, uses the word nations, transliteration of the word goyim. It's a Hebrew word for nations. Or to the church of God. So in the eyes of God, and as it concerns his plans, 
Remember, oh, what a plan, or oh, what a plan. Concerning the futures, concerning judgments, he considers three groups of people. Two primarily in the Old Testament, that would have been the Jews, and that would have been the nations. But then when this new covenant was instituted and the gospel of that new covenant went out and there were converts, there were people that received that gospel and then a supernatural. I mean, the born again experience is a supernatural demonstration because the spirit of man is completely born again, renewed, regenerated, uh, reformed. Hallelujah. All old things are gone. Now he is one with the Lord, righteous before him. Uh, The Lord said that he would dwell in this temple. He would take up his abode in this new spirit, the temple. Uh, That is supernatural in and of itself. And so we see this reality now in what you and I would call the New Testament is that this gospel has produced fruit. And uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, of being born again, we would say maybe the gospel of salvation, but the Lord is literally performing what he said he would do. There would be a covenant, and it would be extended. Uh, You and I, in particularly, are recipients of what he said. He said, I'm going to extend this covenant to the Gentiles. So now, out of the nations, out of all tribes and tongue, out of every, every kindred, now there have been recipients of a gospel, and that gospel has totally transformed them, transfigured them spiritually. And now we are the, or known as, the church, okay? We're the body of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, and we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. These are all implications of this gospel that has totally transformed us, that's been extended not only to the Jews, but then also to the Gentiles. You and I, we heard that gospel, it pricked our heart, and he was drawing us by his love and mercy and wooing us unto himself, and we said yes to him, and something happened. Now we are the church. We're that third group of people now that have a particular future and that have particular judgments associated with it. And um, it's very important that you and I are recognizing ourselves as recipients of this and so that we don't misapply a future or a judgment that is still standing uh, for, say, the Jews or the nations and it doesn't uh, have anything to do with us or the other way around, we're associating certain things with the church that weren't written to the church. It's not a part of the church's future, or it's not a part of the church's judgment. And and I'm using that word judgment is either good or bad. Maybe we could say those promises don't apply to the church. They may apply to another people group. This is how people get off in their understanding or their theology. And we wound up or wind up somewhere that uh, has nothing to do with us because we misappropriate or misapply certain passages that we're dealing with a particular people group. Again, you and I, as the born-again believer, we're part of the church. You are not a Gentile anymore. You are still in the nation, the city, the state. Uh, You're still associated with your culture and things that you grew up in. But in terms of how God views us, he no longer sees you as a Gentile. Uh, He no longer sees you just in the mass uh, of the nations you are now a peculiar person. You stand out. You are different now than just a Jew, and you are different now than just a Gentile. Again, if you were a Jew and you come uh, to the understanding of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Savior, the plan of redemption, regeneration, the born-again experience, etc., 
then in the eyes of God, you aren't just a Jew. And again, then you obviously you wouldn't be associated as a Gentile. We no longer are associated now with those futures or judgments or promises that concern those people in particularly. And I think this is where uh, a lot of theology gets thrown off, again, because we're still associating ourselves with the a people that God no longer associates us with. Again, all the Bible, come on, all the Bible is for the born-again believer, but not all of the Bible is about the born-again believer. Now, in particularly, the passages that were written, uh, Revelation that was specifically written to the ecclesia or the born-again believer primarily is located in the letters. And there's one way you can look at that is uh, look at who it is addressed to. Who is the Spirit of God speaking to? You can find it so many times in the opening lines of each letter. Again, all the Bible is expressing God's dealings with man. Uh, there's revelations of his character, of, of his heart. You know, uh, we can take so many things from the Old Testament uh, because it is a revelation of our own heavenly father. Remember, uh, the spirit now within our spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So we are united with him, and we're coming to know who our heavenly father is, and that is revealed through his dealings with man. And so this is how the church can take passages of scripture that were, say, written specifically to the nations or specifically to the Jews or to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, say, and we can uh, draw understanding of who our Father is because how he uh, dealt with uh, them, uh, the Old Testament passages say. So many amazing scriptures that reveal our Heavenly Father to us. The Psalms, the Proverbs, you know, the wisdom, the counsel, all that. Then in the New, New Testament, uh, in, in the Gospels say, we see Jesus coming uh, to the house of Israel, and we're still... Uh, getting a revelation of Heavenly Father. We began to get a revelation of Jesus and uh, what his intentions were. But ultimately, the Gospels only take us so far. If it hadn't been for the letters, we would have not have known the reality of accepting Jesus as uh, our Savior. And then what that whole new birth experience, what was associated with that? You, you wouldn't have that understanding without the letters. So the gospel takes us so far, then the letters take us uh, even further as far as the outworking of the covenant that was extended to you and I. All right, so before we dive into Romans here, let's go over this one more time. So the Bible sees three groups of people. And again, this is so important. Now, I, I've, I've heard several ministers say uh, that to keep your end time doctrine straight, you have to understand there's three groups of people that the Bible's referring to. Again, if you wind up associating certain futures or judgments to the wrong group of people, you're going to be located, uh, um, you're going to place yourself in a reality that's either not yet or not even for you. This is how some people wind up uh, in tribulation passages and associated it, associating it to the church. This is how we would uh, take promises, say, that were to Israel and to Jacob. We're going to get into this, but if you don't maintain the integrity of who those promises were for, and you associate those promises to a different group of people, this is how you wind up 
in totally different time frames, or we might say in totally different ages or dispensations, because certain promises future, if you apply them uh, to the wrong group, say to the church, and you say, well, this must be for now. Well, this is why your end time, your eschatology, your you know pre-mill, post-mill, all-mill, this is how all that gets messed up. And you say, how can you derive these conclusions when we're looking at the same Bible? Well, if you misappropriate who the revelation is concerning or the future or the judgment concerns, that's how you wind up at these various places. And uh, this is why we have this Bible, though. I, I, I mean, God, wow, what? I mean, it's a miracle in and of itself that we have the canon for what it is and the the prophets and the foretelling, the foretelling and the foretelling of God's plan and his, uh, uh, you know, his, his work in man and the timeline of man. It's, it's right here, friends. Hallelujah. It's absolutely amazing. Now, let me pull up some notes here. And uh, I want to talk about something that is referenced in Romans. And there's basically there's a book within a book. Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 are a revelation to the ecclesia. Okay, it is the Holy Spirit speaking to the born again, the church, the body, the bride, okay, the temple. Holy Spirit is speaking to us. You know, we I have been invited into this amazing covenant. And uh, Paul is warning about becoming boastful in this covenant because there are elements of a covenant, promises that still concern Isaac and Jacob specifically. And so to the church, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to reveal to the church what Heavenly Father's intentions are, and it's referred to as a mystery, and I'm just calling it uh, the mystery of Israel and of Jacob. Holy Spirit wants us to know what still has to take place in the overall plan of God as it concerns the original recipients of covenant. By the way, it's the covenant that you and I are living in, are thriving in. It's the covenant you and I have partook of. He's saying, listen, the root, you'll see this phrase, there's a root still supporting you. And so Holy Spirit said, I want you to uh, not become boastful. I'm going to remind you of what I'm doing in the house of Israel and Jacob. All right, now let's start here. John 4, 22, Jesus, you understand this story. He comes to the woman at the well, these Samaritans. And he says, you Samaritans do not know what you are worshiping. You worship what you do not comprehend. We do know, Jesus says, what we worship. We worship what we have knowledge of and understand, for after all, salvation comes from the Jews. Right here we get an idea that something was extended now to the nations that before was intended for a particular people of covenant. Oh, but praise God that we got invited. Hallelujah. I mean, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but the rejection uh, was utilized for our benefit. Their rejection of Jesus and their temporary blindness. By the way, I want to highlight the, the idea of this is temporary here. But God used their initial rejection of Jesus and, and utilized it as an invitation for the nations Okay, the other people group, right? You had the Jews and the nations. He, he utilized that as an opportunity now to extend an invitation to all people everywhere. 
And this is where that third group, the, the one new man has come from, is that invitation. Now, whether you were Jew or Gentile, Jesus was revealed. And anybody who accepted him by faith uh, would be recreated. And now we've been placed in this category now of the ecclesia or the church or the one new man in Christ Jesus. But because of their temporary blindness, because of their initial rejection, this is why you and I were invited. Hallelujah for that. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. Again, oh, what a planner. Oh, what a plan. Thank God for his plan of uh, redemption that was extended to the nations and every creature everywhere. Now, it's possible that many have forgotten. You'll see it in a minute. Maybe we've become conceited or we begin to boast. But um, maybe we've forgotten, or at least we were never properly instructed in, the truth that we have been invited to participate in a covenant with Almighty God, an arrangement to be included in something monumental while its first and original recipients struggled through their own rejection of it. This is the gospel or the new covenant that you and I believed in and in which allowed for us to become born again. We are a new creation and and are no longer considered Jew or Gentile, but a new man in a new man united, and a new man joined with Christ. He's the head of this body. Jesus is. Remember that? And this is the position that the Father put him in, put him as the preeminent, uh, the one to whom the ultimate honor and glory is extended to. Uh, It's referred to as the second Adam as well. But he's the head of this body. He's the head of the church. We are the body. We're invited in to this body. And I want to show you through Scripture the presentation of this this covenant that you and I believed. This is the gospel you and I believed. And we see a reference to it in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. And it says this, because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, you see the words new covenant there? If you got your Bibles, that was Hebrews 8.8. If you see that phrase, new covenant. Now, this passage in Hebrews is being quoted from the prophecy of Jeremiah. Depending on the Bible, uh, those words may be italicized because it's referring to a quotation. And uh, let's look at that. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31. See, I've got this particular Bible here. Yeah, it's so the, all that passage there in, in Romans 8 is being uh, quoted. It's italicized. But here it is in the Old Testament where that's being quoted from Jeremiah 31. Look at verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. By the way, this is the one and only time that that exact phrase, new covenant, is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's referred to... Uh, uh, other times, but this is the only place, the one and only place where it that exact phrasing, new covenant, is located. That is the exact new covenant that the good news of or the gospel of was preached to you and I, was ministered to. Somebody was called of God to take the message 
and deliver it to you. You heard it and you believed it. You confessed it. And then Holy Spirit caused you to be born again. I'm going to show you, I think here in a passage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here in just a second where they are recognizing, whoa, this is a work of Holy Spirit. Like literally he confirmed what he said he was going to do. There was proof among Gentiles that Holy Spirit literally did what he said he would do. He would cause you to become born again. Look at this in verse 32, Jeremiah 31, 32. Now he says, this covenant is not going to be according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant then, which they broke, even though I was a husband to them. Now in Hebrews 8, that phrase, even though I was a husband to them, isn't carried into the New Testament in the quotation. Uh, there's several reasons for that in my opinion, but I wanted you to see it here because this is very important. Uh, this is where we get the whole, you know, uh, the Hosea, you know, instance, right? Hosea, the Lord said, I, I want you basically to covenant yourself to this harlot, to this this, this prostitute of sorts, this, this, this one that cannot seem to keep covenant vows, cannot seem to maintain the, this, this covenant of unity here. And uh, he's saying that I was a husband to them. So the whole, the whole idea of Hosea, this whole, and it wasn't just an idea, it was literal. But I mean, that is written for us to understand Heavenly Father's commitment to a people that seem to constantly be breaking covenantal vows. And he's saying here, I am their husband. Oh, man, thank you, Father, for that. Wow. I just wanted you to see that because that wasn't carried over into uh, Hebrews there. And verse 33, but this is the covenant. So here it is that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. Watch this. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will will be their God. Hallelujah. And they shall be my people. I mean, let's just stop right there. You and I are living into that. We were Gentiles, uh, a family of concept with that right there with the nations is people that did not have a covenant. There's a, there's this, uh, heathen is associated with that Gentile heathen, Heathen, ultimately, just referring to there was no covenant, no relationship with God. You're you were a Gentile. There was no covenant with Almighty. You're a heathen, um, whether through your ignorance, uh, through the nature, you know, the inheritance of the sin nature, through your rejection, whatever the case may be. You did not have relationship with Jehovah. You and I were in that category. You know, the whole thing of. Uh, Noah's, the days of Noah and the flood were all these people that rejected God were wiped out. But see, you and I were invited to participate in a great mercy and love. And the father said, listen, I'm going to extend a covenant to them. And in this covenant, here's the, the criterion. Here's the elements of this covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. I will call them my people. I will say I'm their God. And in this whole process, he said, I'm going to help them. You know, we saw this through the Mosaic Covenant, is that the reality is they could not keep the law 
in and of the flesh. You had to have a regenerate heart. You had to have the sin nature completely removed out from within. We saw the Mosaic Covenant, this, 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 this situation here with the Mosaic Covenant. There was no way you could keep the law through external restraint because it, it was a heart issue. And here he says, here's, here's the covenant. I'll take out that old heart and I'll put in a new heart because he's God. He can do that. <laughs> Hallelujah. He can do that. And he said, in, in this new covenant, in the terms of the covenant, I'll take out that heart because that's the problem. And we saw that in, uh, in um, the Mosaic, in, in the law. There was no way you could keep it because your heart was far from him. You know, the law said, do not kill, but you had murder in your heart. The law said, um, you know, do not commit adultery, but you had lust in your heart. And so he said, I'll remedy that. I'll take that heart out and I'll cause you to become a new man. He said, in fact, I'll cause you to be conformed to the image of my son, Jesus. Hallelujah. Wow. Holy Spirit will come and take up his abode within you. And then in the DNA of this new, new spirit, I'll write my law. That's exactly what he's, he's saying here. You and I, this was the gospel you and I heard. This is the gospel that is being preached to this day. It's not another gospel. This is the gospel that's being preached right now. It's the gospel of this covenant. And uh, you and I are living into this. Hallelujah. We woke up one day and go, wow. Paul said this in Romans 7. Man, on the inside, I delight to do what is right. Yeah, because God said he would take that old heart out, put a new heart in there, and in that new heart would be his law written. Hallelujah. And then later in the letters, we found out what law ultimately did he write in our heart. He didn't write uh, necessarily the Ten Commandments per se. He didn't write the 600 whatever, you know, whatever the 600 something laws were. No, no, no. He wrote to love God and love people. (laughs) That was a revelation. It was a mystery, but it was being revealed now of the law that he wrote in our heart. And then he said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to pour out my own love in there. I'm going to help you keep those two laws. Oh, thank you, Father. This is what he's saying here. Notice the recipients, though, were the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with these houses. After those days, says the Lord, I'll put my law on their mind. I'll write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall... Every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, this is very interesting here because uh, in Jeremiah, all this is prophecy. Some of this has been uh, uh, being filled in the sense of the gospel of this covenant has gone out. And so many, I mean, how many? We don't know. Millions. So while it's not come into its fulfillment, there's been fulfillment of this prophecy because you and I are born again. Now, if you're not friends, don't delay. Accept Jesus today because this is what he's extending to us right here. You want a new heart? You know, you're struggling. You can't seem to get it right. See, the law is condemning. And he says, no, no, the remedy to that is a new heart. This is the gospel, friends. This is the, the, the basic gospel you and I got saved on. It's what we heard and what we believed. Now, so there's a still a future fulfillment still yet because he's actually 
referring to the literal house of Israel, Judah. Later we'll see Jacob. And he's saying, all of them, even the least of them, shall come into this revelation of this mystery right here. Now, this is the ultimate fulfillment, referring to the uh, literal, the earthly uh, recipients or the offspring of these two houses. But as we'll see in Romans, something was extended to those outside of this um, original covenant here. He said, these were, I did have covenant, they broke this covenant, so I'm going to offer them a new and better covenant. You and I got invited into that. So again, God was declaring a new covenant that would extend to all the offspring of Jacob or Israel to the house of Judah. Then he says that he will surely do this on their behalf as a witness to his own words that he settled in the heavens, and he backed this settling of his words in the heavens. He backed it with a sign. Let's just go down here to verse 35. So we're still in Jeremiah 31. Watch this. He says, thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances, or yeah, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. See, you <laughs> notice what he's saying. The sea is even declaring his lordship. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed, the seed or offspring, uh, it's a collective singular, okay? Like deer. You don't say deers. You say deer or uh, moose. You don't say mooses. You don't say meese. <laughs> moose. It's a collective singular. He's saying if the sun disappears, if the moon disappears, if the stars disappear. Remember, he's saying even the sea roars out that he is the Lord of hosts. He said, if any of this changes, he said, then the offspring of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever, says the Lord. If heaven above can be measured, watch this, he's taking it even further. If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath he says, then I'll cast off the seed or the offspring of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Now, this is not allegory. This is not uh, just symbolism. This is literal here. He's saying, Israel, uh, I had a covenant with them. And like Hosea, they, they played the harlot. But he said, I'm going to make a new covenant with these literal flesh, earthly people. And he says, my covenant, I'm going to establish, I'm going to establish my word of covenant in the heavens. You know, you and I as the church, we've used that phrase. Well, he was, he's established his words in the heavens. We have phrases like, make a decree and it'll be established. What's the basis of that right here? Because he said, I am going to establish in the heavens my word of covenant concerning these literal people. You see the, mon, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars? If you can search out, if you can measure the heavens or search out the foundations of the earth, if, if and when all this changes, he said, you will know that my word concerning the offspring of Israel has changed. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that the sun is out today. I'm pretty sure that the moon, of course, right now, 
it's kind of been a little bit uh, blocked by all this snow that we've been having. But I'm pretty sure the moon and the stars are still there. I'm pretty sure nobody has yet searched out the depths of the earth and has um, explored all of its foundations. In fact, they even say right now they haven't even explored all the ocean bed yet. Like, I don't know how, how many. Uh, would I, maybe somebody can help me. I don't know if it was like they've explored 30% or 70% of it. But still, even the scientists say we've not yet explored even the bottom of the ocean yet. So there, we haven't even got into searching out the foundations of the earth. We haven't even finished searching out the oceans yet. What, what is he saying? This is literal, friends. This is not just metaphoric. This is literal. He made a covenant with a people. And he's saying, I settled it in the heavens. You see the sun, you see the moon, you see the stars. Then my covenant concerning the house of Israel and Judah still stands. Now, again, this is the covenant, the very one that you and I have been invited into. We, as engrafted heirs by faith, have access to the fullness of this covenant. Uh, for example, his laws have been written within our new heart, our new spirit. Luke twenty two twenty, Jesus said this, he Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is Luke twenty-two twenty. He said, guys, this is it right here. This is the cup of the new covenant. They would have known exactly, because there's only one reference to it, in the writings of the prophets. They would have known exactly what he was referring to. Of course, he sat down here. These men with him were Jews. They were of this house. And he said, guys, this is the covenant right here. This is the ratification of it. This is the entrance of it right here. This is the cup he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. You and I, we do communion in remembrance of the institution of this covenant that was based upon the shedding of his blood. Hallelujah. Uh, I mean, have you read Colossians, right? That was written to who? Colossians is written to who? To the born-again believer, the ecclesia. Anybody, whether your history was Jew or Gentile, if you've come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ and you've been born again, the Bible tells us how you can know you've been born again. First John, uh, for example, talks about that. Um, but it was written specifically to us. Look at this. He says, he, this is Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. In fact, let's back up here to verse, uh, let's see, what verse is that? Verse 9. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and longsuffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, watch this, who has qualified us to be partakers of, of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, that's exactly what He had extended here in Jeremiah. You and I were invited to participate in that. Again, when we take the 
communion elements. We have the body and the blood. What are we doing? We're remembering. Wow. Oh, man. Look at this. His body was broken for us, portioned, divided. Okay. Literally, he, he took a beating. He took stripes. You know, his body was broke down. He was mutilated. You couldn't tell whether he was a man or a woman. So there was kind of a double meaning here. One, uh, all, all, he, he purchased our healing. He purchased our deliverance from sin. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. This substitutionary work here. This was how this covenant was brought into play for us here. But then again, we take that bread knowing that there was a place, right? He foresaw there was provision made. We had a place in the body. That bread's reminding us that um, there was uh, already, there was thought, there was forethought that there would be enough room for all who would be invited to participate in the body of Jesus Christ. And then the shedding of that blood, which just sealed the deal. Hallelujah. You and I were brought into that. And we take those elements reminding ourselves, whoa, whoa, that there was maybe this, this point in time where he, and maybe rightly so, would not have had to make provisions for us, would not have had to extend the body of Jesus to us, but he did. And that's why we do this in remembrance of him. Anybody who's born again, whether you're Jew or Gentile previously, all new creations in Christ Jesus take these elements with, with a weighty seriousness that he didn't have to make provision. He didn't have to uh, shed his own blood. He was sinless, spotless, did no wrong. But we were the ones that did wrong. And he said, you know what? I'm going to take your place in judgment. And out of that resurrection will be a totally new place for you to be. Hallelujah. When we do communion, friends, it is a weighty thing in that sense. You know, maybe if you want to look at it from that perspective. Whoa, 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 whoa. And particularly, you know, when you think about, you know, if you were a Jew and time after time after time after time, you rejected him. Or if you were a Gentile, it wasn't even extended to you originally. Like you were, you were just, condemnation was your future. Judgment was your future. That's just all there was to it. That was part of the inheritance that we received. It was like you were done for. But this was extended to his friends. Wow. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, look at this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, you need to look at this in light of Luke twenty two twenty. 20. Here he says, uh, uh, Paul is writing to a predominantly, if not completely, you know, a Gentile congregation here, right? These were, they're not Jews, meaning they were people that did not have a covenant at all. There was no covenant at all associated with Gentiles. That's why they were called Gentile. That's why they were called the nations. That's why they were called, you know, in the family of that heathen. There was no covenant at all extended to these ones. I mean, you're living into descendants that completely, you know, you're the descendants of people who had completely rejected Christ. I mean, if you just want to go back to Noah, say, you know, and his sons and the nations that had sprung out of that totally rejected God. So here he's writing to the Corinthians church. Uh, and he says, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. We ministered Christ to you, but he says, but you were not written with natural ink. 
you, he's saying you are a letter in and of itself. Like you, you are a letter not written with, with any kind of natural ink or human ink, any of the natural, but by the spirit himself, the spirit of the living God has written you. Again, right here, watch this reference. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Where where's that language come from? Jeremiah. The new covenant. Hallelujah. Now, we kind of fast forward here to the Gentiles, but by the, by the time this is being written, by the time Paul's writing to them, you got to understand uh, we're, o- we're already over into this invitation that's been offered to the Gentiles now or to the nations. But I wanted to draw your attention to the original recipients of this covenant, and it was to Israel and to Judah. And uh, we're going to jump into Romans chapter 9 now, and let's uh, look at something here. Again, this covenant was extended to the house of Israel first. It was not extended to the nations first. It was extended to the covenant people first. Look at Romans 9.1. This is Paul here. He says, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience, or we could say his spirit, his spirit also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself... Now, remember, he's a new creation in Christ Jesus right now. He says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Remember, he's a Jew. He says, who are Israelites? To whom pertain, watch this, the adoption? Now, who's he talking about? The Israelites, the house of Israel. What pertains to them? The adoption. The glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, all the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ even came, who is overall the eternally blessed God. Amen, he says. So Paul, here Paul is saying that his own kinsmen, according to the flesh, okay, he's not a Gentile. He wasn't part of the nations. He was part of the covenant people that had relationship with the Almighty God when all the nations did not. He's saying, I'm a part of that group. The kinsmen, according to the flesh, my kinsmen, he says. And they had the covenants, but unfortunately, we'll, we'll see, they were clueless, though, as to the reality of that covenant. Then he says this, did the covenant have no effect uh, then? Was the covenant not even effectual? Of course not. Paul explains that he himself was impacted by the very power of that salvation within the gospel as he himself is of that very house of Israel. Paul's basically saying, I'm proof that that covenant, Jeremiah 31, has touched and affected the very house of Israel. Look at this in Romans 11. He says, I say then, Has God cast away his people? Now, see, you and I are coming into this at a little different point in history. You and I know that they rejected Jesus as Messiah. They hung him up on the cross, right? Uh, But that became an opportunity that God used uh, for you and I. So, again, he's answering this question, is God done with the Jews? Now, this is a very important question because you and I need to recognize something here, that no, God is not done 
as long as the sun, the moon, the stars, as long as nobody has finished mapping out the foundations of the earth, as long as nobody has discovered the boundaries or the measurements of the heavens, then there is a covenant to the house of Israel. House of Israel, the, 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 the literal earthly uh, ethnic people that you and I know as the Jews, there is something still uh, to be fulfilled. There's still something he's working on, even though they've rejected him. Again, Hosea. Hosea is a prophetic picture of this, you know, this people that act like the harlot, but yet he was still going to be committed to them as their husband. Hallelujah. Has God cast away his people? Romans 11, 1. Certainly not. Again, he's saying, I'm proof. I am an Israelite of the offspring of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Now, remember, I told you that we're in Romans here. And inside Romans is a book. The book of Romans was written to the church, but there is a book within a book, chapters 9, 10, and 11, specifically dealing with this mystery of God's covenant to the house of Israel. And we'll see later that it's referred to as Jacob, the descendants of Jacob. All right, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the earthly Jews. All right, look at Romans 6 verse 6. Again, Paul just said he's not done with them. Of course, he's writing to the church. And this is a question right now that a lot of the church is wrestling over. Is God done with the Jews? This is where we get the idea of fulfillment theology or replacement theology. The technical term is supersessionism. They've been superseded. The covenant to the Jews has been superseded or replaced, or God held up his end of the bargain, but because they rejected him, that's been fulfilled, and now he's doing something exclusively with the church. And this is, again, this is where we get into a load of theology that misplaces futures and judgments to one of these three different people groups here. Is he done with the Jews? Is he done with the nations? Is he done with the church? What are the judgments and the futures that have been foretold concerning these three different people groups? And so the Holy Spirit says, hey, Paul wants you to write to primarily this Gentile, uh, their history is that they, they come out of the nations. I want you to write to them and tell them, I'm not done with the house of Israel and Jacob. This is where we're at, Romans 6, verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham, you and I know that Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael, right? Ishmael and Isaac. But he says, but in Isaac, your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. Okay, now he, what he's referring to here is that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he was establishing a offspring that the promises in the covenant would extend to. And he says this, that, uh, you know, remember Abraham, he got out there ahead of God, and he had a son and named him Ishmael. Well, God said, no, no, no. I had already chosen the offspring of promise, and he says, I'm going to fulfill that, and I'm going to cause Sarah to have a son. 
and in Isaac, I'm going to extend this covenant promise to. And so he's distinguishing here what the offspring is or the offspring of, of promise. Now, you and I, by faith, see, we've been invited in. Okay, and something's been extended to us that by faith, you and I would be considered the offspring of Abraham that had the promise associated with them. That's the gospel you and I believed. But that gospel did not do away with the fact that the sun, moon, stars are still in existence and that there is a literal flesh group of of people, an offspring of the flesh, that have some promises associated with them. Primarily, uh, we could say the Davidic covenant, where they would literally have a king that sits in their midst, Isaiah chapter 2, that they would have a kingdom that would be the center of the world and all the nations would come to the kingdom on the earth and learn the ways of the Lord. That was a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2, which has not been fulfilled. It's still future. And see, he's writing to them saying, hey, look, church, you're good. Church, you're good. Hallelujah. We found out some of our promises that we're ruling and reigning from the heavenly Mount Zion. But he's saying, I'm going to fulfill something I told to them and they will have a kingdom on the earth. And that's what's going to be fulfilled to them. This is what he's talking about here. All right. So he says, uh, uh, let's see, that was six through nine. That is those who are of the children of the flesh. These are not all the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise at this time I will come. Sarah will have a son. Verse 10. And not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, watch this, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil that the purpose of God, uh, according to the election, might stand. The word election, we could say selection. Not of works, watch this, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. So again, he's establishing here, even before Jacob and Esau were even born, before Jacob uh, even kind of swindled his dad, you know, worked this scheme with his mom, cheated Esau. Before all that was done, God said, I had already established the offspring of covenant, Jacob. Remember this? Why did he do that? So that it might be by grace and not of works. Again, that's the gospel you and I believed, you and I have received, that it's not of works. It's, it's not anything we did, lest any man should boast, but it was by grace that we have been saved. He's already established the offspring of covenant. Again, right here, this is so, so important because a lot of people get mad at Jacob, right? And they're like, no, he cheated. He lied, whatever. He screwed this up. Well, God established it before he screwed up. He established it before uh, him and Esau were even born. Had nothing to do with what they did wrong. It had everything to do with God's own word that he um, secured or established in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars it has nothing to do with how you screwed up. See, that's the gospel you and I believed. <laughs> Praise God for that. Wow. I don't know about you, but this should be encouraging that even though we play the harlot, he's still committed. We can come back to him. Say, oh, I'm sorry, I repent. 
Oh, thank you. That's the privilege that we have as part of this covenant. So again, Paul is establishing that God had predetermined whom and unto which offspring he would fulfill his covenant among. He is establishing the blessing and the promises. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Notice that before Ishmael and Isaac were even born, God had already decided and chosen an offspring of promise. Before Jacob and Esau were born, before they did anything wrong, again, God established his intentions with Jacob. Verse 11 tells us that this was to establish his selection or his election on the basis of grace and not of works. Was this covenant based upon God's own namesake and and Excuse me, was this covenant based upon God's own namesake and selection? Uh, was it unrighteous towards Ishmael and Esau then? Verse 14, he says this, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Again, this covenant that he established, he established it based upon his selection. Uh, and they're saying, was that unrighteous towards Ishmael? Was that unrighteous towards Esau because God already predetermined? He already chose. He's, uh, Paul says in Romans, uh, what is that, 6 verse 14, he says, no, there is no unrighteousness with God. He says, certainly not. Verse 15, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion. By the, by the way, that's part of the gospel you and I believed and received and caused us to be born again. The fact that God will have mercy on whoever he wants to have mercy on. Verse 16, so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. God's mercy will be extended unto those whom he foreknew and selected before they even sinned. Hallelujah. Again, not of works, but of grace. (laughs) That was extended to you and I. He says, you want to be a part of this? I'm doing something special because of who I am. You want in on this? I'm going to send Jesus. He's going to, he's going to totally be the substitute. And if you believe on him, then you're going to get right in here. If you believe on him, not of works, but if you believe on the substitutionary work of Jesus, that whatever wrath, judgment that I already had concerning your rejection of me, which would have been righteous, he says, in Christ, All that will be taken care of. That's the gospel you and I believed in, friends. So does our inclusion and becoming engrafted into this covenant mean God is finished or has replaced, rejected, or fulfilled his responsibility with the house of Israel? Romans 11.1, again, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. He said in Jeremiah that he was their husband. He's not cast them away. Look at uh, verse 11. He says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Look at this, verse, verse 12. Now, if their fall is riches, we could say their lack, because um, they're definitely lacking. They have rejected Jesus. That's, that's lacking. <laughs> uh, here that King James, the new King James word is their, their fall. He says, if their fall is riches to the world, because salvation has been extended now, and their failure 
riches to the Gentiles, how much more will be afforded to the world and the nations when they return to their fullness, when they wake up to their fullness? Verse 25, he says, For I did not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. There it is right there. Lots of mysteries in the Bible. Here's one of them. The mystery of what? God's covenant relationship that he extended to Israel and Jacob. The sun, moon, and stars that are testifying that he's their husband still. He's not cast them away yet. Now, they've made some poor decisions. They've stumbled. They have fallen, he says. But notice, uh, we're going to see this word, he says, it's only temporary. Again, he says, I do not desire. Holy Spirit is writing to the ecclesia. I don't, I don't think you should be ignorant of this mystery, Holy Spirit is saying. You need to know what's going on here. Lest you should become wise or conceited in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Right here, he's recognizing they're blind. And their blindness has happened in part. God's using it until they'll be blind until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, God has a plan. And he has commissioned uh, you and I to go into all the world. This is the time of the Gentiles and extend to them this covenant. And he's saying, listen, their temporary blindness has afforded the world this opportunity to become part of the body of Christ Jesus, to become the bride of Christ. That's what their temporary blindness has afforded the rest of the world. And he says, if this has been riches, if their stumble, if their fall has been riches to the world, oh, what a glorious day when they come into their fullness. The idea here is that there uh, will be a great fullness among the Jews. They're going to come into a fullness. Why? Because there's a covenant extended to them. You and I uh, may have received it initially before many of them, but remember, he says the root is what's sustaining us. Paul, writing to predominantly former Gentiles according to the flesh, he says, do not be conceited or arrogant and forget this mystery that's unfolding before your very eyes. He says, be watchful here not to think that God's election and grace would be so weakened by one sin. Paul reminds them, as he's reminding us, Holy Spirit's reminding us, that Israel's blunder meant their very salvation. Holy Spirit is revealing that Israel's fall meant an opportunity for you and I to receive exceptional riches and the tasting of his grace and mercy. He's drawing our attention to the fact um, that their fall meant riches to the world. Again, how much more would the world be blessed when Israel is restored unto its fullness? Friends, this is a mystery. It's a mystery being revealed to us right here. He says, do not boast in your salvation and forget that it has come from the Jews' temporary blindness. The root of the covenant still supports you and I because their blindness will be lifted. Look at chapter 11, verse 15. For if their rejection and exclusion from the benefits of salvation were overruled for the reconciliation of a world to God, what will their acceptance and admission mean? It will be nothing short of life from the dead. Listen, this is a prophecy right here. It is still to be fulfilled. There is fulfillment. So many of the uh, house of Israel, so many uh, earthly Jews 
are coming to the knowledge of Messiah, of Jesus. You and I know him as Jesus. But they they are coming into the reality of this covenant that was extended to them. He's saying that when they come into fullness of this, wow, I mean, glorious days, friends. Look at Romans 11, 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you, he's talking about these Gentiles, formerly Gentiles, they're the church now. They're not considered Gentiles in the eyes of futures and judgment anymore. He said, but if you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and of the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember, you do not support the root. The root supports you. Romans eleven nineteen, You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Verse 20, well said. Because of unbelief, they were bro- broken off, and you stand by faith. But he said, do not be haughty, but what? But fear. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches, come on, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? He's saying, yeah, some of these branches were broken off, but he was not done working with them. Many, many will come to the knowledge of Jesus, and guess what? It'll be easy for them to get grafted back in to the very tree that they were broken off from to begin with. Will God, for his namesake, fulfill his word to the people of the offspring of Israel? Look at Romans eleven twenty six. And so, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from who? From Jacob, right here. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, in the Old Testament, whenever you see Israel or Jacob, many times Jacob is used, what's it referring to? The earthly Jews, the ethnic people, the national people, the flesh people, the Jews. These are the descendants. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, he established his line of covenant, uh, line of covenant, the offspring of Jacob, the living Jews that are of the offspring of Jacob, the seed here. You and I, we've been uh, grafted in. Uh, Abraham is our father through adoption. Hallelujah. By faith. But this right here isn't talking to the church. You can't read the church into this, specifically when he said Jacob. You can't read the church into that. There's no way you can read the church into that. You just take these three chapters alone. You try to read the church in there. It contradicts itself multiple times. So he's saying this, all Israel will be saved. Of course, the church is saved. It's not referring to the, the church here. A lot of replacement theology says, wherever it says Israel, just take, take that. Don't, don't think about uh, earthly people. Think about the uh, church. No, that, that can't refer to that there. You know, you got verse 25, 26, right back to back. You can't fit that concept there. He's not talking about you and I. He's talking about the earthly Jews. There's still a covenant that's withstanding. The sun, the moon, and the stars are testifying concerning it. He says a deliverer will come out of Zion for them. You and I have already been saved. Hallelujah. We understand part of the promises of the 
born-again believer, the new creation of Christ Jesus, uh, our homicomb, the place, is not earthly. That's still to the earthly descendants of Jacob. Our homicomb is the heavenly Mount Zion. That's our future. That's our, our judgment. That's part of our judgment, part of our future. All right, he says, he'll turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. Remember Jeremiah 31, the basis of the covenant. This has fulfillment, but it's not been fulfilled yet. And he says, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jacob or Israel's ungodliness will be, uh, uh, will be turned from them. Their blindness will be lifted. Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah is a prophet basically prophesying the millennial reign of Christ. Look at Zechariah 12.10. He says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Right here, their blindness is lifted. This is future. Hasn't happened yet. There's some fulfillment, but not fulfillment yet. He says, Yes, they were mourned for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieved for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. Israel or Jacob's offspring, the earthly Jews, will have their eyes open unto him when he comes into Zion. And when they realize their Messiah, guess what? Zechariah 13.1 says, in that day, what day? In the day that their blindness is lifted. In the day that they look upon him who they pierce and they realize who they have rejected. Again, their rejection was a moment of advantage for the rest of the world. But notice he said he wasn't done with them. Temporary blindness. Right here, that blindness is lifted. Future, Zechariah, millennial reign, future. This is right before the fullness of that millennial reign has been instituted with Israel as the center. He says, in that day, a fountain shall be opened up unto them. Their blindness is lifted, and now cleansing is extended to them. He says, a fountain shall be opened up for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness, uh, 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 un, uncleanness. Now, as of right now, we are still in the times of the Gentile. Notice, until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. Now, I don't know what that is, but in other passages, like in Matthew 24, we begin to see a timeline of events, things that you and I can look for that tell us when the fulfillment of some of these uh, prophecies will come into play. But right now, we are still in the time of the Gentiles, say, what is it? It's the gospel, the gospel of grace. Some people call it the dispensation of grace. We're extending this covenant. Hey, Jesus came so you could be born again. He's going to give you a heart of flesh. He's going to cleanse you. He's going to write his law in the tablets of your heart. That's the gospel right now. That is the gospel in a nutshell. By the way, it is not the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 24, that's referring to a different time. That's like a tribulation period. That's the gospel of the kingdom, telling the world, listen, you're in craziness here. This is tribulation. This is judgment. Wrath is being poured out. What is the gospel at that point? It's the gospel of the kingdom. What, what kingdom? He's about to step into Zion. He's about to reveal himself to Jacob. Hallelujah. That gospel is what's going to bring people along through the tribulation period, and many uh, will be uh, brought into a revelation of Jesus during that time. But our gospel right now is not the gospel of the kingdom. You know, a lot of people going around, uh, you know, they're preaching and teaching about the kingdom right now, right? You heard a lot about the kingdom. Uh, maybe kingdom now. Some people are saying kingdoms now. The kingdom's now. What are they saying? They're saying we're in the time of the kingdom. The millennial kingdom is now. No, it's not, friends, because 
the mystery of Israel and Jacob is yet to be fulfilled. There's fulfillment, but not fulfillment. We can't be in the time of the kingdom of the earth until the Jews, the offspring of Jacob, have been restored. The blindness lifted, uh, reconciliation offered, cleansing offered, sins being removed from them, and them being established as the representatives of the kingdom on the earth. So when people are saying kingdom now, or they say like we're in the millennial now, uh, again, what they've done is they've associated prophetic passages that were to a particular people and maybe associated it to themselves. And this is what he's saying, this revelation here right in the middle of Romans, don't be so boastful, don't be so conceited and arrogant that you would miss God's plan with Jacob still. See, he's talking to born-again folks, and we can easily say, we're it, we're done, it's us, and no more. (laughs) No, no, no. There's a root still, and it's supporting your salvation. Hallelujah for that. Again, the earthly Jews, they've been elected. They've been selected by grace, and because of that, they are the beloved of the Father. His selection of them is without repentance, Again, look at Romans eleven twenty eight. Concerning the gospel, he says, they are enemies for your sakes because they, 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 they reject it primarily. They have rejected Jesus, the Messiah. And even a lot of uh, Jews today, they, they, they don't have any, they have no interest, many of them, in even reading what you and I know as the New, New Testament. They, they have no interest in the revelation of the, of the covenant. This, the, 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 this is the, the interesting uh, deception behind what 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 uh, Satan is doing with God's people is the whole covenant was to Jesus said I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel with this covenant, but so many Jews today they don't want to have anything to do with it. They don't even read what you and I know as the New Testament. Why? They're rejecting the covenant that's being offered to them. They've missed it. He's become a rock of offense. He Jesus has become a stumbling stone. It's offensive to know to so many of them, but yet so many are coming in to the revelation of that covenant that was offered to them. And in this temporary impasse, in their fall, in this blindness, you and I were extended something. And he says this, he says, right now for the gospel's sake, they're enemies. But concerning the selection or the election, they are the beloved of the Father. His... Selection of them is without repentance. Watch this, verse 29. You and I use this passage, again, because we have a heavenly father now, and we know his heart. But look at the context in which this passage is used. Right here, Romans eleven twenty-nine. 29. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. Or another translation says they are irrevocable. Now, we can apply that to the church because it's an expression of God's heart. It's how, it's his character. It's a revelation of who he is. You know, he's the same yesterday, today, forever. And so we have applied that verse to things out of context and not all application is wrong. But the exact application is that his covenant, remember the sun, the moon, and the stars, he will not revoke his word concerning Jacob. All Israel will be saved. They will be established as a nation. Isaiah chapter 2, I'm out of time, but look at Isaiah chapter 2. They will 
have their kingdom that was promised. It's irrevocable, friends. God has betrothed himself to them. He said, I'm their husband, and I'm going to walk through them till the very end, until they come out of their blindness. Again, this mystery of a restored ethnic or national Israel should encourage our very own salvation, friends. And we've got something to really apply our confidence in, that the promises that you and I know, the promises that you and I are contending for, our provision, our healing, right, our salvation, all those promises, this should be a, a, a hopeful encouragement to us that he, he's not so willy-nilly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's going to do what he said he would do. And you and I, friends, are watching this play out right now. Let me close with this. It's Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-two. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned even among the nations, wherever you went, he said, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. He says, then the nations will know, I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself. This is in Ezekiel 36. He says, when I prove myself holy among you in the sight of the nations, He says, for I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. Why is he doing that? He said, you have rebelled against me. You have played the harlot against me. But he said, because my name is holy, I will fulfill everything I have promised to you. Again, church, ecclesia, born again believer, bride of Christ, you and I are living epistles He's faithful to his word, and he's going to be faithful to the house of Israel and of Jacob. Hallelujah. Well, I hope you got something out of that, friends. And I want to encourage you to take a little extra time, and when you're reading through the the Bible, recognize there's three peoples, Jews, the nations, or Gentiles, and the church. We have tremendous promises associated with us. We have a tremendous future, friends. Hallelujah. And guess what? We're not appointed to Jacob's wrath. <laughs> who's, that, who's that referring to? The church. Oh, friends, friends, friends. Well, thank you for tuning in today. Hope you were blessed or encouraged. Maybe it agitated you a little bit. Well, get agitated enough to get in there and rightly divide the scriptures, friends. Hallelujah. So you, so you know where you're headed and you know what's up and coming. It's a whole thing of prophecy. Tell us what's going to happen. Hallelujah. Well, hey, if we can pray with you, it'd be our honor to do so. You can reach out to us. We've got people standing by that will come into agreement and pray with you concerning your very need. You can call us 870-741-9099. That's 870-741-9099. Leave a message. Somebody will get right back with you. Or you can send us an email at hello at gracecitychurch.tv. All right, friends, thank you so much for tuning in today. This has been the Grace for This City podcast. And until next time, be blessed.